I've said this many times, but I'll tell you again. I, I want to be part of a church where God is working, plain and simple. I want to be part of, I want my family to be part of, I want my kids to come up in a church where God is powerfully working. I'll just make that very clear. I want to be part of a church where God is working. I don't want to be part of First Anemic Baptist Church. I don't want to be a member of Good Enough Fellowship. And I for sure don't want to waste my time at the Milk Toast Baptist Mission. I want to be a part of a church where the people inside the church, and I want to tell you even better than that, the people outside of the church know that there is a living God and he is powerful and he is moving and working in and through his people. I want to be part of a church like that. How do you know when God is working in a church? If that's what you want, if that's, if that's what you're looking for, how do you know when God is working in a church? Now, that seems like a pretty good question. If that's what I want, how would we know if God is working in a church? Now, there, there most likely is going to be all sorts of answers and probably a whole bunch of clues, but how do you know when God is working in a church? Maybe it's where the people get along. They actually like each other. That would be a pretty good sign. Maybe that's a sign that God is working. Maybe that church would have a bunch of good things going on. And you would say, you know what, this was good. You know what, that thing over there, that, that's a good thing. And this, this thing that's coming up in the fall, we're excited about it. And that's going to be a good thing. And maybe there would be a whole lot of good things going on in the church. And maybe that would be your clue that you know what, God is working in that church. Or maybe you could just feel it. And you could, you could come up to that church and it would start outside with the greeters and they would be excited and glad that they're there and glad that you are there. And you would come in and you would, you would feel it in the, in the people. There would be smiles and there would be joy in the hearts of people and there would be a sense of expectation. Something is gonna happen today and there would be a, a sense of expectation in the air. You would get in the church and man, you could just feel it. And you'd start to sing and, and just like that song, nothing is better when God's people pin their ears back and sing praises to him. And maybe you would just tell it, you could just feel it in the air. Seven years ago, I was just looking at the date. Uh, Sam Cathy, he's an evangelist. He's a preacher. He has since died. He came and he, he preached a weekend here, a Friday, Saturday, and, and, and the Sunday services. And he came and, and he told me he'd done over 2,500 revival services. He's 81 when he came. And he said, you know, some of those services used to go two weeks. Some of them go one week. Some of them go two weeks. And a rare one might go three weeks, over 2,500 revivals. Well, he preached that Friday night, and then, and then Saturday we had a, had a dinner over there, and he was getting ready to preach the Saturday night service, and he came into my office, and he said, you know, I've been everywhere, and he could list all these churches, so many places that I've been, and he could, he could tell you about them, and he said, most of the time, when you, when you get to a church, you have to do some things or you might have to fix some things or you might have to take care of some things before you, you feel the presence of God in that church. And he actually said on that Saturday evening before those services, he said, when I came in this church, young man, God is here. And he fell on his knees and he began to pray there in my office. Maybe... 
Maybe it's something that you could feel. Now, let me just tell you, those things are all good. Those things are, are really pretty great. Some of those things are, are tremendous. We love those things. But here's what I think. Here's what I think. And I, I truly believe this. And I, I'll just tell you, this is, my, this is my core belief. I don't care where the church is. We can talk about, well, they're there and they're there and this side of Texas is dying and no one goes there anymore. I don't care where the church is and I don't care how big the church is. Well, no one goes here anymore and this and that and, and all the big churches do this or in the big cities. I don't care how big the church is. I don't care how small the church is. I don't care what it appears or what it does not appear is going on in the church. Here's what I believe. I believe if you find a church where God is working, you will find a church where people are getting saved. That's what he does. That's his work. That's, that's why we exist in the church. And I'll just tell you, if, if God is working, yes, there's going to be a sense of expectation. Yes, there's going to be a sense of joy in the air. Yes, we're going to feel his presence here. But I want to tell you, if God is working in his church, people are going to be getting saved. That's why the church exists. Today we continue our study in the, in the book of Acts, the history of the church, the, the history of the start of the church. And today our message in response to, to Peter's first sermon preached there in the Christian church is entitled, What Shall We Do? What Shall We Do? Our verses are in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now I thought when I started working on this, I would preach those, those verses in one sermon. It looks like it's going to be at least two and maybe three. We're going to see some big things. What shall we do? Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. God's word says this. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles. Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your grace, for your kindness. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your character. We're thankful for our salvation, the God that saves. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus, the hope that endures, the peace that he gives. We exalt and we lift up the name of Jesus today. May Jesus be known and glorified in this hour, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for your word and I'm thankful that you instruct us through it and it's not the, the word of a man, not the ideas of many men, but it's the word of God. And I pray now as we begin to study it, as we have opened it, 
I pray that in this supernatural way that you would speak to the hearts and the minds of your people today. Correct us, shape us, lead us with your voice. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room, and maybe, maybe several today, that do not know you, that do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, I pray right now, Lord, that you begin to work in their, mar- their heart and their mind. And I, I pray that they, they, would, they would understand the helplessness and the hopelessness. They already know the despair of, of living outside of Christ. And I pray that today in the preaching of the good news of Jesus, today might be the day of their salvation. I know you're mighty to save and you're powerful. So I trust that to you as well. Lord, I pray that in all this you're known and you're glorified. And I pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue our study in Acts, here's an important thing to see and really here is an intimidating thing for us to take a look at. And that, that is this. As we move through the book of Acts, some huge truths about our faith are going to come to light. And as we pass through the verses, some, some really huge truths about our faith as followers of Christ are going to come to light. Some huge truths about our faith are gonna have to be wrestled with, very honestly. And some huge conclusions, some important conclusions are gonna have to be made. Now, here's what I've noticed today. I, I believe sometimes when things get complicated or when things become controversial or maybe it gets a little bit past our current understanding, we're tempted to just go the other way. You know what, here's an issue and I'm not, I'm not sure about it. And instead of picking it up and digging deeper into it, we, we're a little bit intimidated and we just set it down and we go the other way. Or maybe we say, you know what, it really doesn't matter. It's not a, not a, not a heavy issue or it's, it's non-consequential. And so we set that, that item down. Well, I want you to be very sure of this and, and, I, and I pray that this is what you've taken away from these years of preaching, but I want you to be very sure of this and, 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 listen, and this is that. Listen, as Christians, what we believe matters. Do you understand that? As Christians, what we believe matters. There's a whole push today to just have faith and just exalt faith and just say, you know what, that's a person of faith and that's a a faith-based institution and that's a a faith-based initiative. Listen, what we believe matters. And friends, let let me tell you today, and we better be sure of what we believe. Today, 2019, do you see the onslaught that's coming against the church? Do you see the onslaught that's coming against the home? Do you see the onslaught that's coming against the word of God? Friends, it matters what we believe, but listen to me tell you, bigger than that, we better know why we believe what we believe. Today, somebody comes along, maybe you're at your job or your workplace, maybe you're out somewhere, and someone says, how are we saved? What what does that involve? And we're not exactly sure, and so we begin to recoil. 
Well, maybe I can take you to my pastor. Maybe I can take you to the church. Well, well what does it mean to be saved? What am I, what am I saved from? What, what would it take for me to be saved? Well, I might miss part of that. And so we began to recoil. Or someone comes along and they're, they're thinking about all these things and they say, you know what? Is there really only one way to be saved? What if you grew up in a place where they never hear of the gospel? What if you, you grew up and you're a great person in India, but all you knew was Hinduism? How would God hold you to that standard? Is there really just going to be one way to be saved? We're not sure, and so we begin to recoil. Maybe I could take you to the church, or maybe I can get you a book to read, or, or take you to the pastor. Or somebody comes along, and this is, this is going to happen more and more, especially as our, as our young people leave our, our insulated world and go out in the world. Someone comes along and says, is the word of God trustworthy? You're really staking everything on that? Can't you see there seems to be some contradictions there? There, there seem to be some issues there. Is the word of God really trustworthy? Can you trust it? And we're not really sure, and so we began to recoil. Well, listen very carefully. As Christians, what we believe matters, and we better know what we believe. Well, I'll let someone else worry about it. No, brother, sister, you better know what you believe, and you better know why you believe it. And so led by the word of God, that's where we get our answer, we're going to see what we believe truly matters. Well, already today, in just our verses today, we're going to come across at least three big issues. And I, I thought I'd get through them. I'm not going to even get close to getting through them. We're going to look at the starting one, the, the first one. But we're going to come across at least three big issues in just our verses today. And let me just tell you, that's a, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Now, let's start to look at our verses today. Now, remember, Peter has just finished preaching the first message, the first sermon in the Christian church. He just preached the first sermon in the Christian church. Now, if you will, remember what that included. He has preached the message of Scripture. Remember, he uses Joel and he quotes Joel the prophet. He uses two different Psalms and he quotes King David in those Psalms. And he has preached the message of Scripture. He has preached the Word of God and not anything else. Listen very carefully. We in the church preach the Bible. We, we preach the Bible. We, pre we preach the Word of God, not the, the, what the culture would say, not what the culture would teach us today, not good ideas. There's a lot of good ideas. We're not preaching good ideas. We're not preaching from visions today. I had a vision or God told me this. We're not preaching from that. We're not preaching from experiences. Let me tell you what happened to me. We're not preaching from experiences. We are preaching the Word of God. Let me just tell you, if you hadn't figured it out, wow, especially in our day, we've got enough voices in our ears. We carry one of them around in our hand. We won't even let it sit down. We've got enough voices in our ears. We need to hear from God and the voice of God we're gonna hear in his word. He preached the word of God. He preached the message of scripture. He preached the word of God. Then we saw he preached the gospel of our salvation, the sacrificial death, 
the burial and the sure resurrection of Jesus. He preached the gospel of our salvation. I, I watched today, and I think, man, there's been a whole diluting of the word gospel. People talk about we're a gospel church and we're, we're preaching the gospel, and I'll listen to that message, and there's nothing of the gospel in that message. Oh, we, we love the good news. We love the gospel. Listen, if you didn't hear about the sacrificial death for sin, if you didn't hear about the burial, if you didn't hear about the sure and literal resurrection of Jesus, you have not heard the gospel. I don't know what you heard, but it wasn't the gospel. It's the sacrificial death of Jesus for sin. You have to preach about sin. The burial, he's physically dead, and the resurrection, he lives again. Our hope is in him. That is the gospel. And then remember Peter preached Jesus as Lord and Christ. Verse 36, this is from last week. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He preached Jesus as Lord and Christ, the Messiah of God. And then, as his words have now traveled out and have fallen silent, as this first sermon in the Christian church has now gone out and it now comes to a close, our verses today tell of their response. Peter ends the message, he ends the sermon, and now starting in verse 37, we have their response. Let's read verse 37, here we go. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Now I want you to get this. Hearing the message, there is a response. There's a response. We're, we're, we're not just unloading a bunch of information. Well, here's a bunch of information and you got last week's information and you got Wednesday's information. Let me just stack some more information. It wasn't just the unloading of a bunch of information. It wasn't just something to be heard. Sometimes we think, you know what, if I hear this, I have a better week. Listen, it's not just something to be heard. There is a response. And convicted of their sin and confronted with the truth, they say, well, what shall we do? They've been convicted of their sin and they sit there in conviction. They stand there in the, the conviction of their sin. They're confronted with the truth and they cry out, what then shall we do? What shall we do? Bible says they were pierced to the heart. It literally translates stabbed. Sudden, a burst. They were stabbed to the heart. Another use of that word, that Greek word, was used, it was kicked by a horse. And so they're stabbed in the heart, they're kicked in the chest by a horse. Huge realization just hit them. Now actually, there's really two parts to this realization. As they've heard the message, they've realized two things. The first thing is this. They've realized we killed the Messiah. 
read the verses, that's what they realized. We have killed the Messiah. God promised the Messiah. Scripture foretold the Messiah. The prophets told us of the Messiah. And we have killed the Messiah, not the pagans, the people of God. We have killed the Messiah. That's their first revelation. We did it. We've killed the Messiah. The second thing they realize, and it's tied to that, is they realize they're in big trouble. God sent their Savior, and they killed him. Surely they're under the wrath of God. Surely God's anger is going to boil out at them. They are in big trouble, and they just realize we have killed the Messiah, and we're under the wrath of God. We're in trouble and convicted of their sin and confronted of the truth. They cry out, what must we do? Let me be clear in something. We are just as responsible for his death as they were. You see, for our sin, for my sin and for your sin, Jesus died. For, for your sin, well, the sin no one knew about. Well, the sin I thought I got away with. Well, the sin that time has covered up. For your sin and for my sin, Jesus died. We are just as responsible for his death. Listen, that's the heavy thing about sin. That's the terrible thing about sin. It cost Jesus his life on the cross of Calvary. We are responsible for his death. Do you realize that? Now let me be also very clear. We're in big trouble as well. For that sin and because of that sin and in that sin, we stand under the wrath of God. Listen, the, the wrath of an angry God, a holy God who cannot stand sin. He can't tolerate sin. He holds that wrath over our head and we will pay for that sin. We're in big trouble. Listen, today people laugh at that. They, they go around and they laugh at that. That's not, a, that's not our God. That's not a true thing. He's not, he's not wrathful. He'll never judge sin. We got, we got goofy preachers today. I heard one this week. And he said, and he rhymed all the way through it and he had a real, had a real tight shirt on. He'd been lifting weights. I guess that makes him credible. And he said, Jesus came so you could face the giants in your life. And I just want to scream, listen to me, brother. Jesus came and he went to the cross and he died so you can face God, a God that's full of wrath and hatred towards sin. That's why Jesus came, not for a giant, for approaching a holy God. That's why he came. If you're in your sin and your sin's not dealt with, you're going to pay. And just like they've realized they're in big trouble, you're in big trouble. And there'll be some folks that'll say, you know what, I don't feel good when I hear that. You shouldn't. Jesus came for sin. He came that you would be able to face a holy God. You shouldn't. And they began to ask, what shall we do? We can't do anything. It's done. It's done. What shall we do? Verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and each of you, individual, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me read that verse again. What shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Starts off and it says repent. Now, repentance is our faith response to Jesus. It, it means to turn from your sin. In my, in my faith response to Jesus, I turn away, I turn from my sin. Then it says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we just, you may not have known it, we just, we just tapped into some big time stuff right here in this verse. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? Now, I want you to listen very carefully. It's about to get a little bit deep here. Some take this verse to say that we are saved by being baptized. They would say, when, when you're saved, you're saved when you're baptized. What, is it, what does it mean to be saved? It says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And they would say, you know what? We're saved when we are baptized and they base it on this verse. The church of Christ believes that baptism saves you. If you die tiptoeing to the baptismal waters, if you die before you get in, you go to hell, baptism saves you. In fact, I'll just tell you, anybody that follows infant baptism, they believe that baptism saves you. That's why they do it. They have, to, they have to break the curse of sin on that little kid that that little kid might go to heaven. I want you to listen. And I want you to hear today. And I want you to know what you believe. There is nothing you can do to be saved. And the truth of the gospel is you are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand you are saved by faith in Jesus alone and anything else is a work. Anything else you have to add to that is a work. And anything else is saying what Jesus did is not enough. It's not enough. And so we have to add to what Jesus did on the cross. And anything else is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not his gospel. Now, good grief, that's not going to be popular. Don't take my word for it. We follow the full counsel of God's word. Let me show you what God's word says. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as the result of works. There's nothing to do so that no one may boast. It's by faith there's no mention of baptism. John chapter one, verse 12 says this. But as many as received him, to, to them he became, gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It is by faith there's no mention of baptism. John chapter three, verse 16, one of our favorite verses, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is by faith there is no mention of baptism. 
John chapter three, verse 36. And he who believes in the son has eternal life. It is by faith. There's no mention of baptism. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. The, the jailer asked, what must we do? Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. It's by faith and there's no mention of baptism. Philippians chapter three, verse nine says, righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. It's by faith, there's no mention of baptism. Galatians chapter two, verse 16, you are justified by faith. It's by faith, there's no mention of baptism. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, you profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, you will be saved. It's by faith, there's no mention of baptism. Romans 10, 13, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, a quotation from Joel, will be saved. There's no mention of baptism. Friends, the gospel is we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Baptism does not save us and to say it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's going on here? here here's the part where we kind of shut down. Well, doesn't the verse say that? Well, we better have an answer. So what's going on here? Let me read verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we know what the full counsel of God's word has said, but they're, they're basing everything on this verse. So what is this verse saying to us? The Greek word for four. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It is the Greek word E-I-S, ice. It can translate for. And so it could be a good translation to say for, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. But it can also be translated because. Now stay with me. They had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They had called upon the name of Jesus Christ. They were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that, they were baptized to show it. Because of their, their saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of their sin, they are baptized to show their faith. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. I was looking at other uses of that word, the same word. It says the people of Nineveh repented ice because of the preaching of Jonah. It's because. And so I believe in this verse, it's because. Because of the forgiveness of their sin, they're baptized, marking themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, let me just tell you. What we believe matters. Why does this matter? And maybe some folks are saying, I don't, I don't think this is a hill to die on. Why, why does this matter? Well, we better know. A whole bunch of people today say, say it doesn't matter. 
In fact, that's, that's the popular thing today is to say, you know what, it's, it's a non-essential thing. Who cares? They, they use the name Jesus. It's a, it's a non-essential thing. And you know what, for unity's sake, we ought not to even talk about this. And they'll say, you know what, it doesn't matter. Get over it. Don't preach these verses. It doesn't matter. That's our world today. Well, I, I want to give you three reasons that it matters. And maybe that's the part we've been missing. We, don't, we, we know that's our stance. We didn't know why it was our stance. I'm gonna give you today from God's word three reasons that it matters. The first reason is this. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's not what the Bible says. And in the absence of the truth, it's a dangerous thing because in the absence of the truth, it leads to lostness. Now, I want you to follow with me for just a second. That's, that's the dangerous thing. This is not the truth. It's baptism saving you is not the truth. It's not what the Bible says. And the dangerous thing when there's the absence of the truth is it leads to lostness. And in Acts chapter 8, and we'll get there. It may be about eight months or a year before we get there, but we're going to get there. There's the account of Simon the sorcerer. He was a magician there. You can go read that account this afternoon. And it said he believed. Now, it wasn't a saving faith. It wasn't a true faith. And it says he was baptized. Acts chapter 8, he was, he was baptized. But at the end of the chapter, it, it shows that he wasn't saved. It says his heart's not right before God. He needs to get his heart right with God. And so he was baptized. But at the end of the chapter, it shows you he was not saved. Why does it matter? It's because it's not the truth. I wonder how many people, and I have a pretty good suspicion that it's a, it's a pretty good set of folks that are gonna roll through life, they're gonna walk through the days of their life, they're gonna cruise through the things of their life and they're gonna hold on to some false hope that a baptism saved them and they're gonna, they're gonna hold on to that false hope and they're gonna say, you know what? Well, it's fine, I was baptized in the fourth grade. Well, it's fine, I was baptized my sophomore year in high school, I remember that. It's fine, I was baptized as a young adult somewhere and their hope is gonna be in that baptism. And they're going to go one day and they're going to meet the righteous judge and they're going to find out they didn't know the gospel. In fact, they're going to find out they don't know Jesus. They're going to find out their baptism didn't save them and they are lost and they will spend eternity in hell. It is a dangerous thing to not have the truth. Now let me just go ahead and head it off. I can't imagine what this week's going to look like for me. <laughs> But let me just go ahead and head it off. There will be people that will say, and the reason I know it's because they've already said it, but there's gonna be people that will say, well, this isn't polite. There's gonna be people that say, well, this sure seems divisive. Oh, my lands, this is divisive. This sure seems divisive. There's gonna be some folks that say, you're not building unity. This isn't building unity. There's gonna be some folks that say, you know what, I shouldn't preach this. But you listen to me today very carefully. I'd rather somebody be mad at me and I'd rather somebody be upset with me and I'd rather a thousand people talk about me than one person miss the greatness of the grace of our Savior Jesus who saved us with his own blood and not one work of ours. Just go ahead and be mad. 
Listen to me, it's not kind to withhold the truth. Well, I thought I was, I thought I was baptized. It's not kind to withhold the truth. It's not character to sit on the truth. The first reason this is a big deal is it's because it's not the truth. It's not what the Bible says. Second reason it's a big deal. It robs us of our peace. It robs us of our peace. Now listen very carefully because here's the truth. If you have to do something to get saved, then you have to do something to stay saved. Do you see see why the grace of God, the free gift of God is a big deal? If you have to do something to get saved, you have to do something to stay saved. If you had to get good enough and you had to quit a bunch of things to get saved, then you're going to have to stay good enough and you're going to have to quit keep doing those things in order to stay saved. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have to do something to get saved, then you have to keep doing something to stay saved. The people who teach that baptism saves us, and that is a work, also teach, and they have to because it's joined, that you can do something to lose your salvation. That's what they teach. You can do something to lose your salvation. Now, now what that means is you can never have peace. You know, you can never have peace. You'd have to go through the course of your life saying, am I saved? Am I saved this month? Am I saved this year? Or am I lost this year? What about this doubt? You know what? I just went through a tough period. You know what? I just lost some folks in death and I had some doubts to work through. What about these doubts? What about these struggles? You know what? It's a hard thing and I've, I've had some struggles to walk through. Am I lost? Am I saved? I don't know about that. What about my sin? Did I sin too much? What's the threshold of that? Was this the level and I went here or was it here and now I've crossed that? Have I sinned too much and I'm too terrible to go to heaven? Am I saved or am I not saved? There is no peace in living like that. Listen to this and it's good and so I want you to remember it. Whoo, this is good. This is good. When it is settled in Jesus, it is finished with Jesus. Do you hear that? When it's settled in Jesus, it's finished with Jesus. Whoo, now that's grace. That is the grace of God. When it's settled in Jesus, it is finished in Jesus. We don't have to go back to it. That's why he can say, peace I give. Not as the world gives. Peace I give. It is finished in the work of Jesus. Settled in Jesus. Last reason it matters. First reason it's not the truth. Second reason, it robs us of peace. Here's the third reason, and this one hurts. It robs God of his glory. Did you ever think about that? It robs God of his glory. Let me explain that. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 27, it explains that Jesus saves to the utmost. Now, there are several translations of that word, saves completely. Jesus saves to the utmost. Now, what that means is we have a total and full and final salvation in Jesus Christ. 
That's what it means. Jesus saves to the utmost. We have a, a full salvation. We have a final salvation. And we have a salvation that is total in Jesus Christ. It means that Jesus is the lamb that took our sins. Jesus bore our sins and he took our shame. Jesus paid it all. Not one thing did he leave undone. Not one sin did he leave unpaid for. Jesus paid it all. It means there's nothing left undone. It means there's nothing left to do. And when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, brother and sister, to the glory of the God that saves, it is finished in Jesus Praise the name of Jesus. What a, what a slap in the face of a risen, resurrected king to say, you know what, I need to add something to it. I don't care what you add to it. What a, what a slap in the face. It robs the glory of a gracious God. A, a gracious king who humbled himself and took the form of a human, a bondservant, a slave, submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. What a, what a slap in the face to say, I have to do something to add to that. It robs God of his glory. So hearing the truth, convicted of their sin, they cry out, what shall we do? Today, maybe you're here. Tired of your sin, stuck in your sin, finding no hope in, in anything that would last, confronted with the truth, you would say, so what should we do? Let me tell you this, kindest thing you'll hear all day. There is a Savior that loves you. And he loves you right now. And his love for you is not diminished. And he loves you so much that he went to the cross and died for you. Carried each of your sins. He went to the cross and he, he paid for them himself. And he didn't pull out a wallet. He didn't pull out coins. He paid in his blood. The payment has been received and he's walked out of the grave and he's alive and he's victorious. I want to tell you the good news is the Savior that loves you is the Savior that today in his grace offers you that salvation not in quitting a bunch of things, not in stopping a bunch of things, not in a bunch of rules and regulations, but by just saying, Lord, I can't do it and I believe in you. I trust in you. By faith you'll be saved. Listen, if that's you today, if God's speaking to you today, settle that today. If you're here and you say, you know what, I, I don't have that peace and, I, and I've tried to fake it and I've tried to look for other things. Listen, there's only peace in Jesus, but it's available to you today. Settle it today. His grace is offered. For the rest of us, the good news is we have the truth. Stand on it. Preach it. Declare it. Let not one person perish for the lack of, of my mouth and your mouth being silent. Tell them the truth and all of it to the glory of our Savior, Jesus. He alone is worthy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I, I tell you, Lord, I'm sorry for all of the many ways that we rob you of your glory. We're silent. We're hypocritical.
We embrace false truths. We add or we take away from your work. Or we fail to receive your, your grace and your work. Lord, forgive us. You are, you are worthy of all things. You are the Lord and you are the Christ and you're the risen reigning king and you're the lamb. And you're my savior. And you're my friend, not by any work of mine, but in your work. So we praise you today. Lord, I pray that you have, you have spoken to your people today and I pray that it hasn't been received with a, with a chip on his shoulder, but a love for the truth and a love for a Savior that finished it. I pray for some or anyone in this room that doesn't know you. I pray that in this, in this minute, in this hour, they'd put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would call out what must we should be doing. It's believe, believe. Lord, help them, lead them. Move in our service. As we come to this time of invitation, Lord, move in it. Be known and glorified in all of it. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.